0: Hello and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Pusher's Program Notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, I'm Rich Caparola. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday September 19th and Friday the 20th feature Riccardo Muti and the orchestra joined by pianist Leif Ave Ansnes. The program includes Calm Sea and Prosperous Voyage Overture by Mendelssohn, Grieg's Piano Concerto in A Minor. Reverie for Orchestra by Alexander Skryabin and Dmitry Shostakovich's Symphony No. 6. Here are Philip Usher's program notes on the Grieg Piano Concerto in A minor, a work lasting about 30 minutes. Grieg was an accomplished pianist. He took his first piano lessons at the age of 6 from his mother, a gifted amateur, and music was a constant companion in his childhood home where Mozart, Weber and Chopin were always in favor. In 1858, the celebrated violin virtuoso Ole Bull, a sort of Norse Paganini who charmed everyone from Mark Twain to Georges Sand, heard the 15-year-old play and immediately persuaded his parents to send him to the Leipzig Conservatory. For a young boy from the provinces, born the same year Mendelssohn opened the conservatory, Leipzig was an eye-opening cosmopolitan music center. One of his classmates was Arthur Sullivan, who would later temporarily rival Grieg's own popularity as a composer, and his teacher, E. F. Wenzel, had been a good friend of Robert Schumann. Although Grieg later complained about the strict Germanic training during his five years at the conservatory, the experience broadened his musical outlook considerably. It was also there, under Wenzel's influence, that he developed his lifelong devotion to Schumann's music. One of the highlights of his Leipzig years was hearing Clara Schumann join the Gewandhaus Orchestra in a performance of her late husband's Piano Concerto. The single concerto that Grieg wrote shortly afterwards at the age of 25, by then newly married and settled in Copenhagen, is a public declaration of his affection for Schumann's score. Grieg not only picks the same key, A minor, but begins with a similar burst of cascading piano chords, a generous, if obvious, tip of that. But Grieg's style was already very much his own, and the melodic freshness and harmonic originality of his concerto owe as much to the folk music of Norway as to any German master. The opening piano flourish, for example, walking unevenly down the steps of the A minor scale, descending a minor second and then a major third, is characteristic of Norwegian folk song and recurs often not only in the concerto but throughout Grieg's music. The year after the premiere, given by Grieg's colleague Edmund Neupert in Copenhagen, Grieg accepted an invitation from Franz Liszt and thanks to a government grant went to visit him in Rome. Liszt played straight through Grieg's concerto, reading from the composer's manuscript and managing both the solo and orchestral parts with astonishing ease. I'm an experienced old musician and ought to be able to play at sight, he told Grieg. At the very end, when one G-sharp in the big melody unexpectedly switches to G-natural to great effect, Liszt jumped up, singing the transformed tune and shouting, Splendid! That's the real thing! Grieg was ecstatic, but Liszt also suggested that the second theme of the opening movement be reassigned to a solo trumpet, unfortunate advice that Grieg took to heart, giving it back to the cello only in the final revision of 1906. Grieg was never fully satisfied with this concerto, and for every composer like Liszt or Tchaikovsky who acclaimed it with lavish praise, there were others like Debussy whose criticism provoked him to keep rewriting. Keep on, I tell you, List said after playing the whole piece. You have what is needed, and don't let anything frighten you. But as it turned out, Grieg's true talent was with musical miniatures. He wrote some 140 songs and many sets of piano pieces, and aside from a few works of chamber music, this concerto, was his last work in the large-scale classical forms. An earlier symphony written at the insistence of Neil Gotham, another friend of Schumann, was played only a few times before Grieg forbade further performances. As with Schumann, Grieg's piano concerto proved to be a singular treasure, a beloved and much-played work without a sequel. Program Notes by Philip Husher on the Grieg A Minor Piano Concerto. And now on to Gerald McBurney's program notes for the Shostakovich Symphony Number no. 6. The performance time, around 30 minutes. With his Fifth Symphony, Shostakovich re-established himself as a great and popular composer. That work was his answer to the Soviet authorities who had denounced him and his music, and it was no doubt a way of proving to himself as well as to his public that he could be castigated and intimidated but he would not be defeated. It's a brilliant and triumphant piece, although Shostakovich's own personal victory wasn't unequivocal, and in order to revive his career and maintain his good name, he had even hidden a complete symphony, his fourth, in his desk drawer, where it would remain for twenty-five years. For some time, Shostakovich didn't know how to follow the success of his Fifth Symphony, which had been written with great almost life-and-death urgency in just three months, and which was greeted with reassuring cheers at the premiere late in 1937. For several months, he turned his attention to chamber music, composing the first of his 15 string quartets. He also wrote film scores and a suite for jazz band, as if to distance himself from the world of the classical symphony as much as possible. From time to time, he talked about writing a Lenin symphony in no less than four movements, although we don't know if he actually ever started it. Then, in 1939, he began a new symphony. It is, almost inevitably, a complete contrast to the fifth, and placed side by side with that work, it calls attention to the dramatic polarity of Shostakovich's nature, the same night-and-day dichotomy that would eventually be apparent in the neighboring eighth and ninth symphonies as well. Since his youth, Shostakovich had been unpredictable and moody, lighthearted one day, troubled and pensive the next. Once he became a well-known composer, his dual nature only became more pronounced as he tried, sometimes with obvious pain, to balance his public face and private life and to reconcile political pressure with personal needs. But the remarkably wide compass of his mood swings and the extreme range of his emotions enabled him to write music of an unusually rich and complex character. At first, music lovers didn't know what to make of Shostakovich's new symphony, particularly since it lacked an obvious theme, like the compelling conflict-to-triumph progression of the fifth or a gripping, inspirational finale. The sixth symphony is laid out in an unusual pattern of just three movements, with a large, somber first movement followed by two short ones, a breezy scherzo and a circus-like finale. The first movement, longer than the second and third combined, is very slow throughout. It's a grand and dramatic opening statement that catches something of the danger that was in the air in 1936. It's so burdened with anxiety and desolation that it barely seems to move forward. Music of meditation, not action. And that's what distinguishes it from the big slow movements that open Shostakovich's later eighth and 10th symphonies. The second movement, scherzo, by contrast, bristles with activity. The tone is both light and sinister, sometimes alternately, sometimes simultaneously. The exuberant finale, an almost Rossinian romp, remains in high spirits throughout, although occasionally, as in much of Shostakovich's happiest music, the smile seems forced. Shostakovich thought the finale was so infectious and unthreatening that even the most fastidious critics won't have anything to pick at. And at the premiere, the audience demanded to hear it again. This strangely lopsided symphony doesn't add up until one understands that it was composed as war clouds were gathering, and that, given the political situation of the time, the tragedy implicit in the first movement had to be masked by the cheerful public face of the conclusion. It was the same kind of duplicity with which Shostakovich was only too familiar and at which he had by now become a master. Not long after Shostakovich finished his sixth symphony, Stalin launched his invasion of Finland and Shostakovich moved on to two symphonies in which the devastation and agony of war are confronted head on in music of searing brilliance. The 6th has, as a result, often been overlooked between the famous heroic testimony of the 5th and the overwhelming wartime statements of the 7th and 8th. But the 6th is, in many ways, a more personal work, reflecting not only the difficult and trying times in which Shostakovich lived and worked, but also the resilience and strength of his character. Program notes by Gerald McBurney, Artistic Programming Advisor for the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, on Dmitry Shostakovich's Symphony No. 6. My name is Rich Caporella. Thanks for listening.